Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, we're talking about the holiday shopping season. What's happening in store? What's happening online? What are the trends and what are the innovations? And what are the numbers saying? And to help us make sense of it is our own Rob Garf. He's the VP and GM of retail here at Salesforce. And we've got a couple of special guests and they're going to break it down. Rob's team runs the Salesforce Shopping Index with data from over a billion shoppers. And we're also joined by the hosts of the Jason and Scott Show, which in my opinion is the best retail podcast out there. Jason Retail Geek Goldberg is the Chief Commerce Strategy Officer of Kublis' Group, and he's one of the most followed e-commerce subject matter experts on the web. And Scott Wingo is founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor, the complete multi-channel commerce solution for brands and retailers. Scott's a serial entrepreneur who successfully started four startups and exited three so far. All right, let's jump right into it. Welcome, Scott, to the show. Thanks for having me. I am Scott Wingo, CEO Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Okay, wonderful. And Jason, welcome to the show. Oh my God, it's a bucket list item for me to finally be on Blazing Trails. Uh, The only thing I have left is if I can get my own Force character, I'll be super excited. Um, But I'm I'm Jason Goldberg, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. I'm the Chief Commerce Strategy Officer for Publicis and Rob's unofficial understudy. (laughs) I am. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Jason. Welcome, Rob. Michael, good to see you. Yeah, Rob Garf here, calling in from just outside Boston and Massachusetts, um, VP and GM for retail here at Salesforce. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm not sure if uh, folks caught the episode we did with Rob with some predictions a few weeks ago. So now we're going to see how it went. So maybe, Rob, you could kick it off and just give us a little high level on how the season has going so far this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it started a little rocky, actually. Coming out of Prime Day in October, the next couple of weeks, we saw actually a fair decline, about 7% decrease globally in online sales. And the reason why, well, retailers really came to the table with lackluster deals and consumers waited. They were patient and it finally paid off. There was such a correlation between sales and discounts, actually. So when we look at Cyber Week, which we just came out of, for the US, we saw 9% year-over-year increase. And globally, we saw a 2% year-over-year increase. And most of the retailers I was talking to coming into the season were feeling pretty good if they were flat or Mm -hmm. slightly high. And so this is pretty promising, particularly for the US. US really pulled up the global number, particularly with the headwinds in Europe in UK, in Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been hearing. You know, the, all the headlines that I've been hearing are, hey, the shoppers are back and everybody's back in the in the stores. And, you know, so it sounds great. But Jason, maybe you can chime in a little bit here about, is that, is that really the story? Is there a story behind that story a little bit? Yeah, I actually think, unfortunately, <laughs> that that's a bit of a false narrative. You know, there was this quarter we all lived through uh, at the beginning of the year, Q1, where there was this true inversion. There were all these people that had been pent up and hadn't been able to go to a real store in a while. And so we did see brick and mortar sales really increase and e-commerce sales kind of decline. And then we saw a bunch of tech companies lay off all their employees and blame it on them overestimating what a big deal e-commerce was going to be. So we kind of came into this holiday with this 
to me, false narrative that like, oh, you know, e-commerce is kind of in the review window and now everyone's shopping in stores again. Right. You know, I don't think that was true. I think the Salesforce data bears out that we we had the kind of linear growth in e-commerce this year over last year that we would have expected. And what I'm actually really worried about is that we're not going to see a commensurate growth in brick and mortar sales. So I, I actually won't be surprised if this this uh, Turkey Five weekend ends up or Turkey Seven weekend and Salesforce vernacular ends up being a little soft, unfortunately. We like our meat here. We like our turkey. So we extend it to seven days. Yes. Um, <laughs> not eight crazy nights, but seven days. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, Jason, you know, you talked about the potential softness in the store. What do you equate that rebalancing to? What do you equate, you know, perhaps the higher growth in digital while we're seeing something else happen within the store? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so I do think there was this pent up demand that, uh, you know, people hadn't been to the store as much because of uh, the pandemic. And I, I'm not sure the pandemic's over yet, but there's, you know, certainly pandemic fatigue has kicked in. And we, you know, we saw people flock back to the stores in very high numbers. Mm-hmm. That is kind of bounced back down. And, you know, all these financial news programs show the same graph where they kind of show like what happened to e-commerce and what we would have predicted would happen to e-commerce. And, and we go, oh, it, it, e-commerce has kind of regressed to the mean. Like, and this literally showed up in a Shopify earnings report. And the problem is that the denominator there, the e-commerce sales over the retail sales, retail sales exploded because of the pandemic. And when no one was traveling and no one was buying uh, restaurant meals and furniture or uh, uh, luggage, we had the best two years in the history of retail the the last two years. So that denominator was artificially high. Mm -hmm. If you actually just look at e-commerce, what has e-commerce done since the beginning of the pandemic? It's up 94%. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I mean, if we take a macro view, look at this, even the distinction between, obviously, there's a distinction between shopping in store and e-commerce. But what I'm seeing is just the blending in my own life of these, whether, you know, during the pandemic, there was buy online, pick it up in the store, all these new options that people are taking advantage of. Two questions here. First of all, do we see that trend continuing, which may be, you know, kind of a question that answers itself. But then also, do you see it changing that category? I mean, obviously, there are different things that you shop for where you want to be in person and some that you don't. I mean, what do you see as the macro trends here with this blending of the digital and the physical? And maybe, Scott, you can jump in on that. Yeah. So I'm the e-commerce guy in the group. So I, I'll, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm squarely in the e-commerce world. And I, I think Rob and, and Jason keep a leg in each world. Um, yeah. You know, I think during the pandemic, we saw this acceleration of the penetration of e-commerce. We reverted back to the mean, but it's still mm-hmm. up and to the right. It just, you know, we had a little dog leg down. And now I yeah. think we're going to tick back up. So if you look at countries like, in Europe, like the UK, they're at like 30, 35% of, you know, retail sales are online. And I think eventually the US gets there, it's just going to take longer. And we've had to have infrastructure. We've had prime go from two day to one day. Jason uh, gets so much, he seems to get it in like about five minutes. I don't, I don't he's got a special, he's got a dedicated uh, prime band that just like makes a run between the warehouse and his house. Uh, <laughs> like he just got that sweater an hour ago. So right. uh, <laughs> yeah, so so I, I think we will continue to see it. A couple macro points, when the consumer wins, it's a zero sum game, the retailer loses. So these discounts that, that Rob is seeing in his data, I'm yeah. a little worried the traditional retailer is going to really kind of feel some pain. And the earnings are report that we're going to look at in January, February timeframe feels like they're going to be pretty brutal based on what we're seeing. 
Yeah. I mean, Jason, are you seeing that with your customers and the clients that you work with who have brick and mortar stores and e-commerce businesses that they're bracing for that? What does that look like? Oh, hundred percent. Like the, yeah. the, you know, the top line sometimes looks okay because of inflation, but the, you know, profitability is really strained. And a lot of these new shopping modalities like BOPUS and home delivery are, yeah. are more expensive to fulfill. Returns are a lot higher online. And so this this kind of permanent shift to a bigger part of the mix being e-commerce. While it's great for e-commerce practitioners, it's not awesome for, for profitability. And so I, I think it's a real concern. Yeah, our data showed actually to substantiate that over the course of Cyber Week, those retailers that had BOPIS capabilities grew 38% higher than those don't online specifically. But what's between the lines and the complexity around what's happening this holiday season, as you just mentioned, Jason, is the profitability. Um, you pointed out before to us that more retailers actually closed their BOPIS capabilities over the last 12 months. Um, and a large part of that from what we've seen is it's hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. And it really digs into profitability, especially when you're having workforce and labor capacity issues as well. And so I certainly, Michael, go back to your question, see an increasing from a consumer perspective, a desire to navigate between digital and physical. You know, our research, it's not specific to the holiday, but shows that consumers traverse nine different touch points in any given shopping journey. Some of that's right. online, some of that's in the store, but what they definitely valued, meaning consumers over the yeah. course of the pandemic is convenience, safety, trust, which if I boil that down, it's remove friction from the shopping process. And that means yeah. in many cases, hey, when I start my shopping online, I want to continue it in the store and not have that friction. And so those retailers, particularly this holiday who can remove that friction, but do it in a more automated, a more scalable way, not mm -hmm. only are going to drive more loyalty because they're actually catering to what consumers want, but they're also um, going to be able to do it profitably as well. Yeah. Well, the holiday season is not over yet. So what are we looking at for the back half as we head towards Christmas? I know, Rob, one of your favorite phrases is discount chicken. <laughs> How low can you go? And uh, you can do the chicken dance. I, I don't know. And so I'm, I'm curious, how are retailers handling this? What does that look like, Rob? Maybe you can chime in on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to get Jason's point of view on this as well. I think to speak towards the next couple of weeks, we have to look at what happened over the last couple as well. As we talked about lackluster deals early on, finally, yeah. retailers stepped it up and consumers responded in kind. We saw over the course of Cyber Week, which we look at between the Tuesday before American Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday, we saw average discount rates at 30% for the US and 27% globally. Um, that's mm -hmm. high, just to put it in perspective, any given day, not during the holiday, if you're at 15, 16% discount rate, that's typically what you'd see. And consumers would bite on that, but they mm -hmm. weren't quite willing to do that earlier in the season when we saw really low discount rates. So as we come out of Cyber Week, we still have plenty of runway to go, which is awesome for retailers. Uh, we're going to see probably more returns than we typically do during this time due to price adjustments. We're also going to see, we just referenced before, BOPIS playing a role here because retailers with stores can extend 
that holiday shipping cutoff window by offering people the ability to buy online and then pick it up in and around the store as we get right before Christmas. One of my concerns, uh, I'm the Amazon guy on the panel as well, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing from Amazon sellers that Amazon is having a really hard time getting packages out right now. I, I think mm-hmm. I think they've had this pendulum swing where the pandemic had them, they almost doubled their capacity. Uh, and then if you've read the reports, they've been trimming that back because they, they were overcapacitated. And then yeah. I think they've had uh, way more uh, orders than they were expecting. <laughs> and I think now they're really struggling to keep up with it. You know, so, so they're running multiple shifts. They're, they're really, they didn't, I don't think they recruited enough or have enough capacity. So we could be facing a little bit of an issue getting everyone their, their Amazon packages. So I'm keeping an eye on that one. Mm-hmm. So Scott, if that's happening with Amazon, if that's happening with Amazon, I mean, Jason, I, think we should probably then be concerned with any other retailer who isn't at that same scale. What are you seeing as it relates to uh, consumer, I'm sorry, the retailer's ability to fulfill as the orders continue to come in? Yeah, I, I do think in that regard, Amazon's kind of the canary in the coal mine. Um, they got that kind of wave of demand earliest. And, you know, like Scott, I've heard lots of stories of sellers that have been constrained in how much inventory they can put in FBA. And uh, a lot of them um, kind of lacks prime service levels where where Amazon's offering slower service levels than we're used to seeing. So as that translates to other retailers, you know, it's it's a super promotional holiday period, as you already mentioned, you know, consumers are waiting for those bigger deals. And a fear I have is they're going to wait till the last week of holiday uh, for those deals. And, you know, we have a number of problems with that. Retailers tried to hire less seasonal labor this year than they have the last several years to save money, right? We're all worried about the economy. So retailers cut back on their seasonal hiring. And then no retailer I know hit their seasonal hiring goal. So they're mm-hmm. understaffed. So there are fewer people to restock those shelves when, when someone goes in and buys everything. There's fewer people to fulfill those BOPIS orders. There's fewer people to ring up that order when you go buy that, that awesome Hanukkah sweater uh, the last mm-hmm. week of the year. At the same time, FedEx and UPS didn't get as many people. And as, as Scott knows, it's still darn hard to rent a delivery van. And so I do think if a bunch of consumers play discount chicken for too long, they're going to uh, you know, end up missing some Christmas gifts as we just you know, all run into the same capacity that it would seem Amazon's already experiencing some pains with. You know, and it's interesting because uh, uh, one interesting stat that I heard about was the fact that inflation wasn't as high on prices as maybe we anticipated. And it's taken this long in the conversation to talk about inflation and recession, which, you know, maybe is an indication that, hey, maybe it's news we just all want to hear that this is flattening out at this point. Do we see that as a trend and really taking just just from the holiday season and pushing out into next year in the future, if, if anybody wants to take a shot at that in terms of what we're going to see from those inflationary pressures? Jason, you want to speak to that? Uh, yeah, you know, it's um, it's tricky because we, we all like to talk uh, in generalities and averages are super dangerous. You know, someone told me, you know, that on average, Nepal is flat, like there's just as many miles of elevation as there are our decline, which, you know, might make you miss the giant uh, mountain in the middle of Nepal called Everest. In the same way, like inflation, uh, retail sales, all general retail sales for the year are up about 8.9%. If you take inflation out of that sales, retail sales are only up 1.2%. So all the retail growth this year is inflation. But you know where that inflation is? It's on the necessities. It's on food. It's on gas. 
you know, it's the best time ever to buy consumer electronics. That laptop and that TV are cheaper than they've ever been before. The footwear and apparel are super cheap and being heavily discounted. And so you kind of have these conflicting uh, trends making the inflation story really complicated to talk about. I, I do think, uh, or at least I want to hope that we've seen peak inflation. And so that average number, you know, I do hope is going to go down next year. Like if you look at a lot of global indexes, you know, they all appear to be trending, trending down. But, you know, those those averages aren't what drive consumer behaviors. It's it's, you know, the discount on the TV that they want to get to watch the World Cup finals with the U.S. Yeah, it's um, a zero sum game, right, in terms of consumer spending. Um, yeah. It's probably even less than that if more people get laid off and don't have the same income and disposable cash to be able to buy the same gifts this holiday season. But you know what we've seen as well over the last seven quarters, according to our shopping index at Salesforce, is a steady incline, recognizing, Jason, that it is differing by different categories. Uh, but for the first time, and it's only a sample size of a week during Cyber Week, we saw only, and I say only given what we've experienced over the last two years, a 3% incline in average selling price. And so even with that said, and I think kind of bringing it full circle to discounts because of inflation and to Jason's point, all of the growth is because of increased prices. People aren't buying more units. They're not buying more products. They're just buying with what they have and spending more um, and getting less. But the point here is even with the significant discounts that we've seen over the course of Cyber Week, they're still spending more because of inflation than they did just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. One thing I think is going to happen is, as Rob's doing a great job talking about all this demand, the Fed has been pretty clear that they're going to keep raising rates until the consumer kind of, you know, cools down a little bit. Well, right. you know, the consumer is not cooling down. So, but I think it's kind of a little fake because the, it feels hot because retailers are discounting. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Fed parses those leaves or they just say, oh, oh my goodness, it's still, you know, we had a crazy holiday consumer goods print. Let's raise rates even more aggressively. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that just popped into my head, Jason, based on you said ring up at the cash wrap, just maybe think of payments. And I know you spend time on the payment side. I'd love your impression. You know, our data showed that buy now, pay later orders are up, but average volume or average order value is down. What have you been hearing and seeing? Uh, what's your pulse in terms of creative financing and other payment options this holiday so far? Yeah, it does seem like consumers are using more non-cash uh, options, which is is a little bit alarming because they're you know they're like the economists are kind of saying the consumer is no longer in great shape, that they have like burned through all that, that pandemic stimulus money and extra savings. Mm -hmm. And the trend you just highlighted is super scary because buy now, pay later is the most expensive payment type a retailer has. Like the, those services charge the retailer a heavy fee. And the mm -hmm. reason they do is they say, oh my gosh, buy now, pay later causes consumers to buy uh, many more high ticket items. Right. Um, and so the whole promise that the whole economic model of buy now, pay later only works if you're going and buying big ticket items with buy now, pay later, if consumers are starting to use buy now, pay later on smaller affordable luxuries or necessities, that's a huge red flag. And, you know, the, the credit card companies tell me that they're seeing utilization go up as well, which, again, 
you know, when you start buying groceries and consumables on, on credit cards, that's, that also is a concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read a number of interesting things on the payment side, Rob, about younger generations view credit differently than, than uh, I'll put us in a little bit of an older generation. They don't like having open credit like you get on credit cards. They like to have bite-sized credit that comes along with the purchase. So, so yeah, I think that's interesting from a retailer perspective to think about because there is this audience that you know, has a pretty low minimum on their credit card. And, you know, maybe that's 500 or 700 by design. And you really need that BNPL to sell them a higher ticket item. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any way of chopping that data by, do you you see that in your data at all? Or is that kind of too many chops to get get to there? Yeah, we're not seeing the consumer piece of it. So it's hard for us to look at that. We do do survey data and it's super interesting to look at the different demographics. Not only, well, I guess not only do they like to take bite-sized chunks and not carry that debt. They also don't like to talk to service people. So we saw in our data, (laughs) totally a left turn here, but just, I thought it was interesting given the younger generation um, that we saw over the course of Cyber Week, something like a 60% increase in chatbot usage. So, which I think is good as we're talking about operational efficiency and automation, that is one way for retailers to provide service for, you know, fairly rudimentary questions like where's my order or where's a store so that their service agents are freed up to ask or answer more complex questions. So it is super interesting though, as we look at the different generations and the demographics for sure. Well, and while uh, we've got these two retail experts here, three retail experts with two who are new to Blazing Trails, I'd love to talk about some other trends that we're seeing. We're talking about younger demographic, what they're looking for in terms of credit. But what about uh, experientially, the shopping experience they're looking for, uh, how they're looking at uh, commerce, what's happening with social? I've always felt like there's such an opportunity there that hasn't been realized yet in terms of shopping on social. What trends are you seeing in terms of innovation in the online retail space? Scott, maybe if you want to jump in. Sure, sure, I'll jump in. Uh, if you couldn't tell by my uh, my display here, I'm a collectibles person. And, yeah. um, you know, we first identified this really interesting trend out of China, which is live streaming. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, Chinese uh, commerce pivoted from kind of the traditional you know, website buying to live streams. Um, yeah. Some Alibaba, Jason may remember the stat, Baron. I do like more than ha- half of Alibaba sales now are, are from live streams. So it's like everyone running their individual own little QVC or home shopping network, which is pretty wild to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't see a lot of traction of it in the US. There's some collectible sites though. Um, a really interesting one's called Whatnot. And, you know, so, so there's all these entrepreneurs on there selling autographs, sports cards, various collectibles, and their GMV has just shot through the roof. So the the transaction volume to that platform. So that that's really interesting. A lot of times these Chinese trends, uh, like you, so a lot of the, you know, about five years ago, you saw some social things going on, like buying through social and then like single apps that would buy things and chat apps. None of that really yeah. made it here. But this one's really interesting. We're starting to see the live stream thing pick up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon's tried it in a couple other retailers. Um, but the, the where I'm seeing a lot of the activity is in these hyper vertical little segments where there's an affinity between, you know, the, the, the seller and the buyer that's a little bit different than just selling, you know, uh, yoga pants or something more generic like that. And do you see that as a trend that's going, you know, individual retailers are going to be starting up channels or what, what, how, what is that going to look like? I think they will. I think. You know, again, I've only really seen it work in the collectibles category. Maybe Jason has some more data points on this, but I do think it will ultimately. And and when you watch that show, it's really interesting because there's like six ways to buy. There's a little persistent store. 
there's an auction of something going on. So that gives a kind of a more interactivity, um, right. but then also they can do, you know, then, then they have several other ways to buy. So it's really kind of fascinating and it's all integrated in the video. A lot of the ones mm-hmm. I've seen are, they're just kind of, they've kind of hacked together a YouTube video and then something in the comments. So it's not as quite as integrated as, as kind of that Chinese experience. Whatnot yeah. is kind of delivered on that. Interesting. Jason, what are you seeing? Yeah, so live streaming is super interesting. At the moment in the West, I'd say it's it's more vertical specific. So there's verticals where it's it's getting more traction than others, and there's an oversimplification, but uh, verticals that have scarcity uh, tend to be a better fit, right? So in Scott's mm-hmm. collectibles, if you're not watching that live, they're going to be out of that collectible, and so there's there you know the the live component is super important. Mm-hmm. If I'm selling Abercrombie and Fitch sweaters, the fact that the that salesperson is live versus a short form video that's been recorded is probably less relevant, right? And so then you start to see, hey, maybe it's short form video, but not necessarily live streaming. Mm-hmm. What is for sure true though is that you know the digital consumer has great tools for buying stuff really easily and less good tools for discovering new stuff they want to buy, right? Mm-hmm. And so for sure, social has become much more important as a discovery vehicle whether you ultimately buy from that social channel or whether you discover it on that social channel and you you go to a a salesforce commerce cloud site to buy it or go to a retailer to buy it is you know frankly less important but uh uh you know i know that like this holiday we've seen in the salesforce data a higher percentage of traffic coming from these these social sites than ever before and that's because Mm -hmm. like you know, the primary lead source we used to have for all new products was saw in store. And and for many consumers and especially younger consumers, that's been replaced by TikTok. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a really good point. And you know, we've talked about this before in terms of <laughs> shopping at the edge. And, you know, buying now isn't just a discrete event, but it's embedded in everything we do. And yeah, when we looked at it's funny, you know, we named the category social referral. Um, as we started to look at it years ago, but it's such more, it's so much more broad than that. Now it's not just social like Facebook, but it is live streaming like TikTok. It's messaging platforms. It's right. gaming consoles and apps. It's, you know, Scott, you were early on recognizing, you know, hey, we got to figure out how we syndicate our information on other things besides a .com site, right? And so right. Mm-hmm. now we're seeing an acceleration to your point, Jason, not only for discovery, but retailers thinking about how do I embed the buy button on these different channels? These, I mean, they're becoming, from my perspective, the shopping mall of this generation because, hey, it's creating yeah. a place to come together. It's a place where there's a broad assortment of things and content and products. There's uh, a convenience aspect because you can buy from multiple different categories. We just haven't necessarily figured out um, how we break down the friction between, like you said, discovery or inspiration and purchase. And so this holiday, to your point, Jason, we are seeing a really significant uptick of referrals from social. So people are going there, um, whether they're implicitly or explicitly buying, but regardless, it's bringing them to sites. And then, you know, it's up to the retailer to make sure they actually purchase them. Fantastic. All right. So I just have one last question, which is, um, advice for retailers coming up? What, what should they be thinking about? Maybe to finish out the holiday season and then into next year, maybe we can just go around the horn. Um, Rob, kick us off. What should, what should retailers be thinking about? Yeah, sure. Well, 
candidly, there's not a ton of course correction at this point in the <laughs> holiday season. So I can come up with amazing things that sound really good, but the reality is things are basically in motion and it's yeah. about execution at this point. They're not going to hire more people. They're not going to install new technology. They're not going to put any new initiatives in place, but it's all about execution between now and the end of the year. I would say they should start bracing and preparing for returns um, yeah. because that's going to be an issue around efficiency if they haven't figured out how to smooth that process out and again, balance that with customer loyalty. But coming out of this holiday season, I'm talking to more and more retailers about, again, over the last couple of years, they've gotten really scrappy. I give them a lot of credit. I've never seen retailers this agile in all the time I've been in the industry. Now it's time to move from scrappy to scale, uh, thinking about where they can automate, where they can streamline operations, where they can remove the friction mm -hmm. in the shopping process as those consumers traverse digital and physical. Because ultimately, they're trying to solve a problem. They're not thinking in their heads, I'm going to go digital shopping today. They're just thinking about how they solve a specific problem. Right. All right. Jason, any last thoughts? Yeah, I'll echo Rob. Uh, it's my least favorite question because there, there's not a lot of levers to pull when uh, clients call this week and say, hey, something's not uh, going right. Right. Um, Maybe next I, year. Maybe we can think about what they should think about next year. Yeah, I would say like around the edges, the kind of things to be thinking about is like, uh, because I am worried about that capacity at the end of the month, see if you can pull in that demand. Like if you can do guaranteed prices so customers feel more comfortable that they're not going to lose on discount chicken, then maybe they'll get those orders in earlier. Maybe you can uh, kind of balance out holiday a little bit. Certainly, you know, you want to have plays in your back pocket around gift cards and BOPUS and, and things that you are going to be able to deliver in that last minute. But I'm with Rob. I would be turning the page. Uh, for better or worse, we're going to have a ton of consumers coming back in January with returns, probably more than we've ever had before. Yeah. You know what? That's a new customer touch point. We can sell something to that customer. Maybe we can do an uh, exchange or something else instead of just a return. So like those are the kind of plays you, you really want to be be focusing on. But you know, truth be told, for most of my clients, I just finished back to school 2023 planning. So <laughs> right. like a little late <laughs> to be worried about holiday. Fantastic. What I've learned is if you can just take any little piece of friction out of there, no matter how small, the your net promoter score goes up a surprisingly large amount. So people mm -hmm. love not only do they they love you know convenience, but they will reward you for convenience, which has been a, a you know kind of an interesting. I've always kind of pontificated about this, and now it's kind of interesting actually doing it. So so you know I would say make twenty twenty three the year you take friction out of the whole process. I like that every, every every little piece of friction like just just pound away at it. Amen. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, it has been an honor to have Jason and Scott here from the Jason and Scott Show joining us on Blazing Trails today. Thank you, Scott, for joining. Thanks for having us, guys. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, my pleasure. And uh, uh, always good to chat with you. Happy shopping. Happy commercing. Well, that was Rob Garf, the VP and GM of retail here at Salesforce, along with Jason, retail geek Goldberg, chief commerce strategy officer at Publicis Group, and Scott Wingo, the founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. And you can find the Salesforce shopping index with data from over a billion shoppers and some amazing Tableau visualizations at salesforce.com slash resources. And you can find Blazing Trails wherever you get your podcasts or on the Salesforce YouTube channel.
Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce Studios. It's produced by Rachel Levin, edited by Cynthia Chavez, with original music from Andrew Duncan. I'm Michael Revo. Thanks for listening. Thank you.